0: Hey
1: everyone, you're listening to the Elysium Project Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Johnson. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please be sure to like and subscribe, and you can find out more about us online and on social media at ElysiumProject.ca. The following is a conversation I recently had with Annie padden I first discovered Annie's work in 2005 when YouTube was brand new and episodes of her public television show, The Universe Inside Our Minds, were trending within the alternative health and lifestyle section of YouTube. The show, which originally ran in New York City from 1997 to 2000, featured Annie and her husband at the time, Dr. David Jupp, speaking on the topics of whole brain functioning, Life food nutrition, live blood cell analysis, and many other concepts which, prior to the internet, would have been hard to learn about otherwise. The concept of eating raw vegan food, or life food as Annie calls it, was more popular than ever in the 2000s. And Annie and David were two of the prominent leaders in that movement, where they also ran Jubs Longevity, a gourmet life food cafe in New York City. Today, Annie continues her work with Life Food Nutritionals, where she works with a biodynamic farm to produce organically grown, handcrafted nutritional medicines, teas, superfood powders, all formulated by Annie herself. Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to share this quick sound clip of Annie and David talking from their television series, The Universe Inside Our Minds. What I really appreciate about their work, among many things, was their understanding of the mind-body connection, which they taught through their whole-brain functioning course. whole body calibration, as I said, is where it's possible to view movements and things that are happening on the outside of the body and know what's occurring on the inside.
2: Okay, let's get right into some of this stuff, because I think this is really interesting and very cool. What is some of the body, what, how, what can we do to read the body? What can you, what are some obvious things that, that you, you scan for if you see how somebody's walking across the, you know, walking through their lifetime?
1: Uh, well, uh, you know, I mean, you, you really could say that the, uh, you, what, what we say is that the body is the mind's experience of itself. We perceive mm. everything through the use of our body. Hmm? Mm. And so it's possible to get an idea of the way someone's using their body, and we can get a sense of what's going on inside this person's brain.: All right, and we're live with Annie Pat and jub Annie, thanks again for taking the time to join us.
2: I'm so happy to be here. It's going to be fun to talk with you again. We had a great uh, podcast a couple years ago, and I enjoyed it.
1: We did. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that conversation. The topic was uh whole brain functioning for that one, which is uh a program that you were doing in the 90s, I think, and that's where I first sort of discovered you. You had a public television show, The Universe Inside Your Mind, in yeah. in New York <laughs> City you were at at the time broadcasting.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: it was really interesting content. I didn't obviously discover it on through the television. I kind of came across it right when when YouTube burst on the scene, and there was some some videos up. There was a lot of like raw food topics trending. Dave, David Jubb and yourself were doing your television show. I watched David Wolf. and um, at the time, there was this an explosion of knowledge around raw food and, and raw veganism which is kind of where you began or, or where where did you begin where did this whole journey begin for you
2: <laughs> actually whole brain functioning began first uh in like 85. okay yeah so this wow. is a this is a program that my partner at the time dr david job and i put together um we uh we got the programming from well if you want to back it all the way up, so um, neuro linguistic programming is mm-hmm. uh, really interesting stuff. It's kind of foundational for a lot of the mental health work of today. Certainly, uh, entry level like hypnosis and just what is the structure of subjective experience and how do we assume the things as we go on in life, right? And how do we up level and and all of that? Anyway, so um Bandler and Grinder were two men who basically didn't have a lot of science themselves, but were researchers. And they looked at a bunch of uh, therapists that were having really good results, but they were kind of mavericks and they were doing their own thing. And so nobody really had like a structure for what they were doing. And so they just really mapped it out, you know, and gave a lot of us this wonderful map. Um, Tony Robbins came out of this first training with my teacher, uh, Dr. Scout Lee. Um, They all kind of did this first training. It must've been like in 81 or 82 or 83, something like that. And then um we started working with Scott, Dr. Scout Lee. I call well, her name is Dr. Scout Cloud Lee. She's half uh, Seminole Indian and half native um uh sorry, half English. <laughs> she'll mm. tell you she's a half breed and she'll laugh about it. Which is true. Um, Anyway, so she taught us a lot of this, the structure of subjective experience. Her program is called the Excellence Principle. And she started right away when she learned this to, uh, you know, what they were doing is looking at, you know, basically eye accessing cues. So you can kind of tell if somebody's in a visual mode, an auditory mode, or a kinesthetic mode. In the way that they're moving their eyes, whether they're creating something or whether they're moving from drawing from memory in their brain. So, in this way, it's a uh, helpful information if you're tracking somebody um, or just tracking each other in communication. Um, and we do this naturally all the time. We're always tracking this stuff, but we do we know it consciously? Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. So, that's really the consciousness of it. And what Cloud did, Dr. Cla- Scout Cloudly, <laughs> I always <laughs> call it Cloud. Um, What she did is she started to bring all this information into full body, so full body tracking, so body shifts and movements to the right, we go into the world, into the left, the world comes into us, you know, you could say it's masculine on the right, feminine on the left. Mm. But then it goes into real kind of finite uh, details as well and you can really track where people are getting information in their brain. Pretty much our brains are set up pretty much the same, you know. Um, But anyway, she started uh, using ropes courses as uh, a way to, you know, push past the limitations that we normally have for ourselves of safety boundaries. You know, you're on a belay belt, you're okay. You're walking, (laughs) but you're (laughs) still like 50 feet above the ground. The risk perceived by the body is huge. And so when you're, when you're in a state of moving in an elegant, you know, piece of change work like that, when the person is moving, you know, you can fire off a lot of their stuck states. And what happens mm. is it integrates into the full body calibration of excellence, right? So it, it pops these stuck states. And when uh, when you're stuck, it's a really good time to feed the person, you know, if you're having a hard time with transitions from one thing to the next, literally on a ropes course, Um, That's a good time to feed the person resources, the things that they always feel good about themselves and get them kind of stocked up again, get them moving again in life. Um, It's a living metaphor. And then she also started doing um, firewalking as well. And these are the things that Tony Robbins has kind of made popular. He worked with much larger groups than she did. She prefers like a small cloistered group of maybe 40. That's kind of the group size that I like to work with too, or did, you know, when I was doing all these trainings. Um, So yeah, so we learned a lot with that. And then... um, you know, it was kind of a tough sell at that time, too. So we're talking like 1986, 7, 8, and 9. Mm. Um, there was a lot of New Age, you know, education out there. A lot of New Age teachers were coming around. The word New Age came <laughs> was born. <laughs> uh, you know, and Tony was doing his good work. But there were dozens of others, really qualified, interesting people that were um, kind of flooding the marketplace with how to... Um, you know, be all you can be, basically, you know, how do we stop or, you know, pop our own little stuck states and then how do we evolve and become more, you know, so we can handle more things. We have a greater bandwidth for life, you know, and you can kind of laugh at things that you used to be stuck with, you know. Yeah. So that's the sign of evolution. Um, so anyway, when we, were, we were teaching that. We were doing residential retreats um, and having a really good time with it. Um, but it was always kind of a hard sell. And then at one point, in like 1990, I went to India to do a yoga teacher's training program. And uh, really, you had to be vegetarian and, um, mm-hmm. you know, we're staying in an ashram for like a month. <laughs> and then I traveled around for another couple of weeks. And when I came back, I had a profound change in my life. I I thought, well, you know, I kind of like this vegetarian thing. I think I'm going to stick with it, you know. And um, But also, I was like, well, wait a minute. How come everybody's sick right now? Like when I was growing mm-hmm. up, you know. You didn't know anybody who had cancer. You maybe knew somebody's, like, great aunt who had cancer that grew up next to a nuclear, you know, (laughs) garbage (laughs) bed or something, you know. Uh, There was a trail to it. There was a tracking to it. It wasn't this mysterious thing where all of a sudden all these people had cancer and obesity all of a sudden, like, everybody got huge. You know, people would be a little overweight, but not, like, this obesity that was starting to come on with 100 pounds extra. We'd never seen anything like that. Now you Mm. kind of know it to be... Common, but at that time it really wasn't at all. And I was like, what's going on? And like, even diabetes, like type 2 diabetes mellitus, they would call it adult onset diabetes. You never saw it in somebody younger than about 60 years old. And within like a few years, I watched it just plummet down Mm. to like 18 year olds. Some of my clients were coming to me that were 18 with type 2 diabetes. It's like, what the hell, you know? Mm. And what we, I did a deep dive into, and what I realized was they changed the food supply rather dramatically, not just for humans. Um, So for the junk food, for example, it changed from um, cane sugar to high fructose corn syrup. During this time, uh, uh, genetically modified corn and also soybeans became a thing. It wasn't (laughs) wasn't even invented before then. It became a thing. And it was cheap, and there was this big uh, push to take, you know, cows away from their natural grasslands and put them into feedlots and feed them this genetically modified corn and soybean that causes a lot of inflammation in the body. That's why the humans are getting so big because they're eating animals that are fed this diet, but they are also a lot of their the foodstuffs and packaged foods, and all of the junk food sugars basically overnight went from cane to uh, high-fructose corn syrup. So um, so the animals got really huge, uh, which fetched a better price. You know, they're heavier. They were weight by weight. You know, they would uh, kill the animals and then sell them by weight. So they were making a lot of money on this. They were saving a lot of money from, you know, having them just graze a natural diet where they normally would just to be eating this fast food, junk food, basically, where they were super growing. So, but they were also really sick. So they also, you know, lent, all of a sudden now these animals need a ton of antibiotics, gross steroids, and hormones from mm-hmm. the pharmaceutical industry, which loved it, right? Because <laughs> they have now, they don't just have humans as they're uh, marketing to, but the animals that so the humans are eating and stuff. So they marketed directly to the farmer and um, and said, hey, you know, you won't have to worry about this. It's an incre- incredibly um, unsanitary environment if you've ever gone by like that. You drive up I-5 where they have those... I don't know a million cows out there. I call it cow schwitz. <laughs> you know, and they're all just standing in mud or dirt. You know, and there's no, there's not a blade of grass that they're eating. They don't do anything naturally. They're not right. just grown all day, right? And then they just fed this kind of fast, supergrown food, antibiotics, growth hormones, and steroids. And um, so it makes these industries rich. You know, it made the it made Monsanto's rich. It made the pharmaceutical industry, which was still kind of starting its role to being one of the most powerful industries the world's ever known. And then with this last little kicker in the last couple of years, it just shot it yeah. out. Know, the pharmaceutical industries are now have much higher, much higher, um, or much more money than even most countries do, you know, so, yeah. and they're, they're multi, you know, multi uh, national corporations. So they actually, hardly pay any tax as well so anyway that's kind of the rise and that's kind of my trajectory too so i was always really looking at that when i came back from india again in 1990 i was looking for the cure for cancer and i had known you know doctors and stuff i was like so what causes cancer i mean the chemo was coming on it was like gee that seems like a terrible idea (laughs) the person's already sick like you're gonna bathe them in this horrible toxin that's gonna kill a ton of cells might kill the person but you know, it might kill a tumor, it might not, um, radiation, always a bad idea, you know, and then just surgery, cutting out body parts over and over again. So surgery, radiation, and chemotherapy were then at the time legally the only way that you can treat cancer. And so a lot of people, some doctors, mavericks, were, um, you know, they lost their doctor's license, they had to move to Mexico, they had to, you know, hold a clerk and, you um, uh, hoaxy, had to move down, you know, out of country, basically. A lot of our great um, mavericks in healthcare uh, had to move out of the country because even ozone therapy was outlawed if you were treating, if you are healing cancer without using surgery, chemo, radiation, <laughs> and even nutrition was, like, outlawed, you know. So it was kind of the Wild West of cancer in those days. Um, and it hasn't gotten all that much better. You kind of saw that same kind of um, thing this last couple of years with COVID, you know, mm-hmm. where... You either march and toe the party line, or you get you know literally ripped out from your different venues. Um, people with millions of followers on Facebook and Twitter and, uh, and YouTube and all of that got you know deplatformed and for telling the truth mm-hmm. <laughs> using their own empirical observations. It'll settle down a minute, you know. But anyway, so so as I was going on and on, I you know. Um, uh, what happened? Oh, I went right into a corporate training. I was doing a lot of corporate trainings with David at the time. We were doing a training for the largest company that sold Aveda products. And oh, really? Body care products, yeah. I think kind of-
1: I think we talked about this last time. I'm I'm a hairstylist by trade. I went and I went to Aveda school. <laughs> I think you mentioned that because yeah, that's, that's funny because Aveda, yeah, Aveda is a really cool company.
2: It's a really cool company, and this is when Horse still owned it before Estee Lauder bought him out, but. Um, anyway, I was doing this corporate training, and I was just mentioning they all wanted to hear about India because this was a real regular clientele for us. And uh, I just said, you know, and the, kind of a little fro- throwaway thing. I was like, you know, I really want to know what causes cancer. I mean, you know. And the next day, this woman came and she brought me one of Dr. Rand Wigmore's books. He um, recipes for longer life, I think it was. And she said, "Well, let's check." <laughs> she just cured herself uh. years ago of uh, feminine cancer of some kind, and she did it with raw organic, raw living foods. And so it was a recipe book. I read it. I looked through it. I started making some of the recipes. They were terrible. She was not a culinary uh, (laughs) wizard. (laughs) But they were all about real food. It was just kind of, it was my first introduction to what what raw food is, you know. And I thought, Mm. well, raw, it's not the whole thing. Let's put some life in it, you know, that has a measurable life force to it. So I call it life food nutrition. And, And then right away I started writing the recipes that have all of the, Fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, but all of the herbs and the really tasty things and the difference between like a living salt, you know, sun-dried ocean Mm -hmm. water and like something that was dug out of of the ground that was an inland lake millions of years ago. You're not going to find the same kind of magnesium and iodine and things in it. You'll find some other things in there like uh, rhodium and iridium, which you won't won't find in the living sea salt. But it's a little bit of a trade-off. So that's why that pink Himalayan salt is kind of a nice idea. It does come from an ancient inland sea that was dried up. You know a million or two million years ago but it does have some of these uh alchemical magical mineral qualities to them as well you know you get that mountain in there (laughs) more than just the ocean and stuff so anyway so i thought well if she did it this is cool let's uh let's get going you know and then all of a sudden just kind of it just started flowing from that the whole brain function was kind of hard to get rolling, but as soon as we incorporated life food nutrition, you know, everybody eats, right? Mm -hmm. Not everybody's Mm -hmm. working on themselves, but everybody eats and they all want to do a better job of it because literally it was this tsunami of uh, obesity and cancer and it was just Mm -hmm. kind of a real scary time in America where it's like, what are we, what are we doing here? And a lot of new foods were being introduced and uh, when I say new foods, I mean that you can eat them, but it's not really food, you know? So these are like the flavorings, seasonings, additives that are chemically based That are designed to override your natural ability to understand what food is and what it isn't. Uh, Doritos and nachos, and you know, Mm -hmm. this kind of a thing too that has all that a layer of powder on it that's a bright (laughs) orange color or something. Like you can know that those that powder is there to trick your old your uh, salivatory glands to death, actually, to keep thinking that that's food, uh, but it's not. Yeah. So. Anyway, that's kind of my little origin story, and I just kept going, you know, so during the 90s, there was so much of an interest in all of these people that were kind of post-op cancer patients kept coming to us, so David and I opened up um, a weekly lecture series and an outpatient fasting clinic, and we fasted, you know, we'd have 100, 200 people fasting um, every week, and then all these people wanted to learn how to do it, so we had our Phoenix Fastitioners and we were training them how to work with others, and, um and it went just really kind of full on for about 10 years. Um, even after David and I broke up, we kept running the the, the lecture series. And um, and then we kind of went into other businesses too. I started with these uh, raw vegan cafes that I wanted to do. We did the first – actually, the first one I got was a, one in San Francisco, and I had it just for like 10 months. Hmm. I sold it back to the owner because uh, I knew I was going to lose the lease anyway, and I kind of wanted – it was in San Francisco too. Like, how thin can you stretch your Yeah. Um, but then I opened a place in New York called Jeb's Longevity that ran for about eight years. And then I came out to California and opened up uh, a little chain that I did here, that's still here, um, called Life Organic. And I started franchising it. I sold a franchise to Dubai, a woman in Dubai. And Got kind of far enough into it, then I realized it's not really the best use of my time and talent. You know, like hmm. uh, it's kind of a lot of hands-on and hand-holding with the new franchisees and <laughs> all this stuff. And I thought, okay, yeah, man, this is somebody else's job. I had the vision for it. I want it to happen. So I, I switched out a couple like a year before the pandemic started, or the whatever, the quarantine and lockdowns, so and put it that way started. <laughs> I um, I reorganized my the structure of the corporation for Life Food Organic, and I brought in a new partner who is basically running the whole thing now. So he took out the kitchen part of it, and it's more like this really adorable raw vegan, mostly raw vegan um, organic kind of snack shops and raw kombuchas and, you know, things like this. So you can get all kinds of healthy snacks there. And he's partnered it next to his store's uh, uh which are uh, far-infrared saunas
0: hmm. and
2: vitamin grips and vitamin injections and things like that. So it's a nice little partnership, and it will continue. I still own 40% of it, but I'm just totally hands-off and doing my own thing right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was perfect, too, because he closed everything down to restructure right before um, you know, the world went into this quarantine. And so um, we, we actually came through it pretty well. You know? And he's just opened up the Hollywood store, and there's another one in Santa Monica that's going to open up in another um, month or two. So yeah, life is organic. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's awesome. I have so many questions here. It's an amazing mm. origin story. Um, I going back to one of the things that's really important to me in in what I'm doing with the Elysium Project is kind of this concept of indigenous reconciliation. And you know, we talked about how we have this great behemoth of a Western capitalist machine that's kind of going around and destroying our world and people are unhealthy and uh, living off these, these genetically modified ways of, of eating foods and living. And um, I I think there's so much wisdom in these ancient, ancient ways of living. Um, And I'm going to go full circle with this, but back to what you were talking about with Cloud Lee and learning from her and her teachings for whole brain functioning. I often, when I chatted with David, he would mention they were, they were Toltec teachings.
2: Um, well, it's Dr. Scout Cloudly and she, um, she's seminal. Okay. You know, she's, she's actually, I think she's almost 80 now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, She's going to be, she's got a birthday coming up on, uh, in in a couple of weeks anyway. But, um, She's got this youthful attitude. She's always uh, got a great attitude about things. She's always learning. She works a lot with, she lives in the Louisiana area in Oklahoma, and she works with a lot of the Oklahoma tribes there, which have all come there from different places. So Seminole were uh, Florida, grasslands, people, and then with the Trail of Tears, they rounded up all those tribes, uh, all those tribes around there, and then they marched them up to Oklahoma thinking that they would you know, park them all there, mm. which actually worked out. I mean, it worked out for the tribes, whatever, you know, <laughs> a horrible experience. And many, many died along the way. Yeah. But the, I mean, this was generations ago now. So now they have a lot of, um, clout and a lot of legislative pl- power. And also, um, you know, they're pretty good sized tribes. And so she works with the tribes. with the same stuff that she's always done with team building and, um, cooperation and getting communication styles, you know, so everybody's working together in a good way. And so when I, when David would call it Toltec, that's, you know, it's not wrong, but it's uh, it's an elegant way of talking about these ancient teachings and how they move around the planet through right. the indigenous, they really gain great benefit uh, from studying a variety of them because they're all, you know, influencing each other to, at different times in history. Yeah. Certainly now we have a great interaction with all of these indigenous tribes, so, um, you know, Claudia would say that she, I think she's actually, they have a, oh, show me the name of it. They have a, uh, They have an indigenous grandmothers of all the continents uh, group. And she's been a part of that for like 18 years. She's not, She doesn't have any children of her own, but it doesn't matter. We just call them grandmothers when you're a certain age, right?
0: And yeah. She's
2: got like. There's the Aboriginals, and there's South American, and there's you know, North American, where she comes from, you know, Europe and Asia, and they get together for these different powwows. Many of them are quite old now, and have, you know, some have passed on, but I know that the group is still, like, there's some integrity to it still, right? So they're still kind of getting together. And with the express purpose of women from indigenous tribes that have, you know, risen through the ranks, you know, whatever that is, to be wonderful teachers, uh, and then to share those teachings together so those are the indigenous teachings that you're going to find and david would just artistically call it the Toltec. (laughs) cool (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) yeah yeah well that's why i ask you because sometimes when i would chat with him it's kind of difficult to get understand what he was (laughs) saying or get the answers but i know he would often say toltec and i was just curious given you had mentioned cloud being who you the two of you really uh first started you off on this path if she was somehow influenced by toltec teachings or or whatnot but i really i really do feel that the answers to so many of our problems in in our world today is not in some new technology that we haven't yet invented but going back to these ancient wisdoms and teachings that that were always there and in many cases about living in harmoniously with the world around us and in terms of the food we eat and the lifestyle choices we make so I'm always very interested when I when I hear the origin of where a certain teaching came from mm-hmm.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's just very interesting, too, because you see the sensibility of that particular area. So, David, my ex husband, is obviously from Australia. I mean, not not, not here. Nobody knows that. (laughs) But he's from Australia and he grew up in Tasmania. And um, so the Tasmanian Aboriginals kind of died out, but their culture lives on and in the people that carry it forward, you know. So, those teachings are carried forward right throughout the Aboriginal cultures in all of the different uh, states of. Of, of Australia, and um, they're very unique teachings to what we're going to find in South America and in North America, and you know, even in Alaska. And if you cross over to the Siberian shaman, you know, that are have a really long history there, and probably a lot of the native people came in through that land bridge. You know, uh, I think they call it Cro Magnon Man, but you know, 20 to 30 thousand years ago i think something like that Mm -hmm. so they would have come in that land bridge and brought those teachings with them as they came into americas and then down into south americas there was plenty of ocean going voyages too just very primitive Mm -hmm. like the polynesians that made it to uh, hawaii for example and then on the way back to the coast and stuff and up into alaska so we we have a common history that we think we know a lot about and what we really find is that when we We look at the, now that we know a lot about DNA, too, you can actually, you know, track, you know, the DNA Mm. and where it came from from all these places. And then you can kind of see how creative humans have been and traveling around the world and sharing their teachings with each other. And shamanism itself is born out of uh, so many cultures, you know, and you're going to find the nuance wherever you go. Um,
1: Yeah, before all these monotheistic religions came about you know we often like to talk about history and we're talking or historians the last three or thousand years or so but it's we've had thousands and thousands of of years hundreds of thousands millions of years of evolution to get to this point point. and it's really interesting when to look back on that and like you said the the common sort of traditions that have been carried on they didn't necessarily keep a a written history but they managed to be passed down from generation to generation for way longer than our sort of uh anglo-american history.
2: Absolutely, you know, and um you know, and even like certain pockets in China and um Tibet certainly um you know, their written history goes back 10,000 years, you know. Mm-hmm. So they have a word botany like just their plant Working botany is plants that you use medicinally all the time, you know, you would at least have access and know what they do and what they are. You know, they have a working botany of, you know, so many, I mean, thousands of more plants than we do in North America just because it's, it's, it have these libraries that are continuous libraries for so long. So if you can keep that, you <laughs> can keep that written word going forward because there's always going to be, you know, like a Genghis Khan or any mm-hmm. of these guys or even um, Alexander the Great who was like, let's burn libraries. And you're like,
0: <laughs> mm hmm. <laughs>
2: You know, burn the library yeah. but they did and they want to rewrite history and stuff so you're going to have some of that but then you know certain things always uh, get passed along and uh oral traditional histories are always oral you know they're storytelling you know and they learn mm-hmm. the story their children and their children teach their children and then you have these beautiful uh, myths uh but also the legacy of, that, of those people you know the heroism of it the um, you know the way that they've conquered uh, different uh, elements and stuff. Even like if you look at the Hopi, the is it the Hopi and the Maya? When you look, they really agreed on some things. And that's that this is the fifth world. You know there were mm. four previous worlds that all had ended. <laughs> one was by water, the the great flood, which we still every year we talk about that. One ended by fire. One ended by Anyway, whatever they all just ended at certain places, and then there's a rejuvenation of what's left over, you know. And so we have that historically, even in most cultures. You at least remember the flood, even though because it wasn't that long ago. But uh anyway, you know, my sister really follows these things, and I, uh, I don't know why, but I hadn't, I, I'd kind of forgotten. I said, "So we're in the fifth world, right?" And she goes, "Yeah." And I go, "So how does this one end?" <laughs> she goes, "Hang on, <laughs> earthquakes." And I was like, "No!" <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: So where did they get that information? You know, it's in the grid. There's an intelligence uh, that has no beginning and no ending, that where time and space doesn't really have foundation. And so this is an accessing point from the people, the indigenous cultures that, that do remember how to access and tap you know we call it like the internet now but that's always been in place there's nothing new about it we're just like electricity there's nothing new about it but now we can walk into a dark room and then we hit this little thing on the wall and we know that it's going to light the room up in that same kind of knowing we have the indigenous who have already gotten kind of the mind map of where we're going and what we're doing and how it's going to end you know and then the play the great the grand illusion if you will (laughs) but the great play that we all came here to participate in to have a have a part in to make some measure of it you know to uh every single person is born with a mission and a purpose and totally. Uh, so when we align with our mission and pr- that's the coolest thing actually about this whole covid piece i have to say is that uh just as an observer of life right i'm like as soon as everybody went inside i was like wow this is gonna have a profound influence <laughs> on everybody you know because mm. If you're living a life outside of yourself, you're commuting too much, like three hours a day, four hours, too much commuting, you know, and then mm-hmm. you're not your family, you don't even know the house you live in because you're hardly spending time there, you're in and out. Do you know your children that well, you know, and, <laughs> and all of a sudden it's like, we're all going inside, we're all going to work with our families, we're going to get to know the spouse, the people in our world, you know, the children. Um, and we're going to network tighter family systems out of this, but also it's going to reinvent or not reinvent. It's gonna give people the opportunity to realign with their mission and purpose, whatever they incarnated to do. Totally. And we all, we all have a very specific thing. Very specific thing. And totally. So this introspection time like a year or two off, most people wouldn't have ever had that, you know? Mm. And now they have the opportunity to do that. And so you see all these divorces and all these new marriages and new babies and <laughs> moving people are moving mm. to where they need to be in their spot to thrive. Very few people are going back to the dead end jobs that they had beforehand. They are just couldn't be interested, mm-hmm. you know. So the the wage has gone from like what eight bucks an hour to like fifteen in almost every place. Like, oh, well, you're gonna have to pay them if you want to bring them in now. <laughs> and uh, so they're getting a better, more, you know, higher quality of life just by having a bit more money and um, and then opportunity to really, you know, reinvent yourself to really say, well, what did I come here to do? What is my mission and purpose? And how? Yeah. Closely can I align with that right now? Because that's the best me that I can possibly give to the earth, and that's how you feel the best too. Whatever it is, you know. And so I think that that's uh, one of the greatest gifts of this last couple of years. You know, there's always some fear involved. Clarity, universe, it's always going to be the mm-hmm. light up and down, <laughs> you know, right and left. However, that's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful gift because it didn't just happen here; it happened everywhere. Yeah, and that's cool.
1: It is. It's really (laughs) unprecedented when you go back to think about that March of 2020 and the whole world just shutting down. It was one of a kind for sure.
2: Yeah, phenomenal. Uh, And then we're going to have what I call the coming renaissance. You know, Mm -hmm. when all of these people really align with all all of us align with our passion and our purpose, you're going to see like, you know, um, you know, some some of us incarnated to fix world problems, you know, and there's plenty of them. (laughs) <laughs> there's plenty of them that could use some work. <laughs>
0: totally. You know?
2: I mean, who's that kid. I have to. Think, I have to remember his name. But he he's like 23 or something. He's on his third track now to to get all the garbage that plastic uh, island that's floating in the Pacific. That's okay. The size of a yeah. He's like from Sweden or n- n- not maybe Norway or Iceland or something like. Is it from the, one of the Scandinavian countries? And that was he what he was born to do. Yeah. So when he was <laughs> pitching these things, he goes, "Okay, there's going to be this big." Floating thing that's going to scoop it up. That was version one. <laughs> version two is the you know the better version of that. Now it's version three, and he can take something like a thousand pounds of garbage a day, right? Really? I had this little quote from him, and he says, "That's great. We could all feel good about that, but it's going to take a thousand years at a thousand pounds a day to get all of that up." So I'm already thinking about number four and number five. <laughs> 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 yeah. That was his mission. He came here to, to clean up that garbage. And I mean, yeah a beautiful, beautiful mission. And he's not even 25 yet. Just a really cute yeah. guy who's like, that's what he's doing. So when all of us get a line like that too, these little problems are just gonna disappear and pop, you know, and then mm-hmm. we'll have more of this kind of an indigenous sense of unity that we're getting through technology mm-hmm. right now, but that actually mm-hmm. is our birthright. Yeah. You know, in in uh, You know, you ask anybody who's living close to the earth, you know, if they have a a grandparent or something that's really quite old, um, and and you say, well, how are they doing? They'll go like this. Mm -hmm. They're doing very well, right? (laughs) They're just tapping in. They're doing very well. And they'll always tell you, too, and maybe you've had this experience yourself. When somebody you know or love dies, wherever they are in the world, you get it. You might have a dream. You might feel them. You might um, just have a really classic experience, like I'll I'll just see them like floating, flying through the room, like goodbye, you know, and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> 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 ah, they're dead, you know. Well, but then you can, you can still continue to interact with them because there's kind of yeah, there's living in the dead, obviously. Yeah. But then there's you know. Um,
1: hmm. I feel okay. that very much with people that have have passed that are close to me. I've actually like lost both my parents but i really Mm -hmm. feel that they're they're with me they're their physical form sure they're no longer in the physical forms that they were but i you know if someone asked me if i miss them of course i miss their physical form but their energies of who they are i very much feel them with me here in the present and it's cool
2: yeah you could interact with them, too, and it's it's kind of funny, too, because uh, when we're dead, when we're, we're non-physical, you know, we're out of corporal, um, we're non-corporal beings, which is spirits, you know, when we're spirits, when we're souls, um, they have a lot of, uh, their easiest way to interact with us is actually through tech, you know, they'll send like a little, <laughs> you know, they'll let some little computer thing go off or a beeping noise or Whatever, And I always just kind of ask for that information, like if I want to talk to my grandmother, I'm like, hey, grandma, are you here? Can you send me a little sign? And all of a sudden, some truck will start backing up, beep, <laughs> beep, beep, I'm like, okay, here's what's happening. Mm. <laughs> I need your influence on this one for me, you know, and, and get it working yeah. for you, get them working with you. And then they love that, you know? I mean, they're busy doing their own thing too, but they're, you know, omnipotent, so they can be in many yeah. places at once. Yeah.
1: Totally. I was gonna mention too, you were talking about kind of um, this, this renaissance that's coming. There's a really good book I like. It's called The Fourth Turning, and um, it's they kind of the authors propose this concept of history being cyclical. And they've studied the Anglo-American history all the way back from the settlers. And they notice that generations, they kind of repeat themselves in cycles. Right. And right now, according to them, we were we're exactly where we're supposed to be. And we're in a crisis situation where everything's kind of falling falling apart in front of us. And after that comes this this great period of this rebirth where society comes together in, with a renewed sense of strength and unity. And that this has happened more or less repetitively f- for the last 300 years in 80 year cycles, which is like a sac- saculum, the average length of a human life. And it's it's really interesting. And just to, to see that and, Like I said, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show today is just kind of rewind the clock and let's take a look at what's happened since in the last 20 years and before that and where things have gone. And uh, it was really cool. You know, you're talking you were talking earlier about when you sort of first started seeing the the obesity and diabetes plaguing plaguing the Americas. Now, for, for this generation, Generation Z, that's just normal, right? They, they don't know of a time when, when people were of average weight and these problems didn't <laughs> exist and cancer wasn't rampant. It's just kind of a normal thing now. And, th- and that's strange when you normalize something that is, that is not normal. And There's that great quote, is no measure of health to be well in a, well adjusted to a society that is profoundly sick, right? So yeah it's really interesting to to talk to you today and, and see kind of where you are coming from when you're like, "Hey look maybe maybe what we're eating isn't isn't the right way about doing things and then um, seeing all these these diseases that have now become normalized and there's a generation of people and that's just that's just the way it is and uh, mm-hmm. it's just, mean, that's it's a
2: cool thing about living longer right because you get to see these longer cycles mm-hmm. You know, your 20s, you're kind of like, okay, this is the way it is. 30s, it's like, oh, you know, (laughs) a little bit older, you're like, wait a minute. There was a time when this didn't exist. (laughs) Yeah. People were pretty well, pretty well. You know, people were dying of old age or the car accident or something. You know, it wasn't normal to have all of these problems. And, um, but here's the cool. Yeah, so I've kind of I I kind of cut my career out of that too. So one of my one of my things, one of the, my main things that I do is reversing the conditions of degenerative disease through uh, through a lot of, you know, organic raw living food, right? And what I found mm-hmm. is no matter how sick the person is, as long as they're going to stay alive for a while because we all have kind of an end point, you know, we're going <laughs> we're all going to terminate at some point, which is a good thing. You don't want to live here for 500 years you know it's like it's <laughs> a short sweet little ride <laughs> get your thing done mm-hmm. and then get out um but anyway so um <clears throat> so degenerative disease right so now we've got a ton of it you know like even obesity in fact when we looked at all of the COVID people that were dying initially it was coming out of italy right and they were saying You know, I was following these specific doctors there, and they were saying, "Well, here's the here's the news. It's not great news, but it's the good news, and that is that every single person who's died here of this what we're calling COVID has one to three very serious diseases. Obesity being the number one.
0: Hmm.
2: They have obesity, cancer, and Parkinson's or something like that. They were the ones that were dying." And, um, you know, really, I mean, anybody who doesn't have one to three diseases, it was never a serious thing. I know some people that got really fucked up, especially originally when they first released that virus. And it was like, whoa, you know, like a couple of my friends in New York City had Mm -hmm. really, really hard, hard hit by it. And one of them is still suffering, you know, from like long COVID today. So finally, I mean, about two weeks ago, I called her. She called me. She's like, I have long COVID. I know I do. And I said, well, you were one of the first ones to get it. You know, like, let's what can we do? You want, you want to partner with you on this because that's, you know, she goes, yeah, because this is your thing and you need to fix it. I was like, okay. <laughs> so, you know, I did my 14-day life food nutritional fast with her and, and dozens of other clients too, especially the, the booster really affects some people. I mean, these are, serious, these are serious drugs, you know. It's not one size fits all with drugs. We know that, you know. One mm-hmm. person can eat an almond and be fine. Another person eats an almond and dies, right, because they've got these allergens and stuff. So we all know that. Um, but anyway, so with her long COVID, I was like, okay, so it's always inflammation. Let's get you on a massively anti inflammatory 14 day live food nutritional fast with the liver and gallbladder flush. And, um, you know, four days later, she was feeling much better. It's like a three or four day window. And so we did the whole 14 day with her. I think she's wrapping up, Like, in fact, I need to call her, <laughs> see how she's doing, and check in with her. Um, but I've worked with so many people too that had like these mysterious kind of autoimmune diseases after the jab. And uh, one, one actress I worked with um, that I've known over the years. We've been friends, but also I'm on her healthcare team. And whenever anything's wrong, she calls me up. And anyway, so this time she called and she's like, look, I've been in pain for five months, you know, two weeks after I had this booster shot. I, um, you don't think it's the booster, do you? I was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> it's that two-week window. That's when the immune system goes, okay. Mm. Anyway, she was in extreme pain for five months and she couldn't even really sit down. It was kind of one of these autoimmune... Um, which doctors never know what to deal with. She's married to this rock star who's worth hundreds of millions of dollars, and so they have the very best doctors that money can buy. Um, But they're not looking in the right places, you know, for it. They're looking – you should really look at it like a kind of Epstein-Barr, chronic fatigue, kind of these newer exhaustion kind of uh, uh, diseases, if you will. Anyway, so – so she, I started working with her. I said, we need to put you on a 14-day live food nutritional fast. And with clients like this, I'll actually, you know, she can hire me and I can do all the food for them, which is good because I can like really meticulously do it. And these are raw living soups and nut milks and electrolyte lemonade, um, green juices, and like a super smoothie every day. So like five or six different beverages. You, you get plenty of food, but it's all blended or juiced and and then we roll my my liver and gallbladder flush and so um, you know the first day she couldn't even sit down she hadn't exercised in five months on the evening of the third day she exercised for the first time in five months and she woke up in the morning of the fourth pain-free and she was calling me she's like it's like a miracle like i can't tell i haven't slept in five months i haven't and she really did look like she hadn't slept in five months you know i'm just in pain anyway she started looking more and more gorgeous from then on in and um, they did the 14-day. I have her on just a few vitamins and, you know, recommendations to keep all the tasty, delicious things rolling forward. Do a very good 40 50 60% living foods, fresh raw fruits and vegetables, and nuts and seeds. And she can play with the other bit. You don't have to be fanatical. And um, she texted me maybe two weeks ago, and it was six weeks out from when we finished the 14-day, and it was still holding strong. So... Um, you know the body's a perfect self correcting mechanism and it's able to heal of anything and everything, I think. Mm. And I come at it that way. And, um, you know, it's inflammation, it's toxicity. We're going to do some tissue cleansing, we're going to activate the organs of elimination. A lot of this stuff is because people just aren't pooping very much. You know, that was my girl in, in New York. She I says, when was the last time we had a really good bowel movement. I said, and I mean, a full and thorough ev- evacuation. She's like, it's been a while. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> okay let's start right there you know and the skin is the largest organ of elimination and the lungs are organ of elimination liver and the kidneys and spleen and so on so anyway just like getting things back to running and and operating in a really good way and that's the secret to good health you know and that's how we eliminate um, the conditions that set up degenerative diseases we just like roll it right back And the earth is like this, too. The earth can be, you know, you could take a genetically modified, you know, farm with tons of glyphosate poisoning that's been going on for generations. Not generations. What is it? 30 years? One and a half generations.
1: Probably about (laughs) that, yeah.
2: Like generations.
1: But it's like,
2: (laughs) I don't think it's been that long. But anyway, it's been going on at least since the early 80s. Let's put it that way. And then you can take that soil and that farm and in like three years you can get it uh, organically and um, certified again, but you can also go further than that and get it biodynamically. Regenerate the soil, feed the soil, mm. right? And then you have this rich microbiome of soil, that range of diversity that comes up through the plants. If the plants are, you know, you put a seed in, in any soil, but if the minerals and the 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 humus, if you will, of the soil is not intact or not rich, you know, and full of life. It'll never be in the plants. You have these kind of scrawny little plants. Um, you know, they'll grow and stuff, even in organic, because they're not – what organic means is we're not putting a bunch of um, chemicals on on the plants, you know, especially like herbicides and fungicides and pesticides and all of that stuff. But what we're doing is, um, you know, natural things that the, the soil likes, the plants and the birds and the bees all do really well with and all of that so one of the projects I have um, over the last 10 years is I'm partnered with a woman in uh, Ontario Canada and we have a hundred acre farm there that we're calling the life food farm mm. and the last four years getting certified biodynamic so biodynamic is a step beyond organic as your as your listeners will probably remember and it was it had it's had different you know heydays in history but it's really kind of gone by the wayside you know with all this Monsanto GMO kind of farming, Mm -hmm. monocropping farming. And so what we're doing is we're reintroducing, uh, you know, biodynamic to this area and wanting to get other people to get biodynamic as well because it feeds the whole life cycle, bio mini life, dynamic, the dynamic life Mm. through the soil, through the plants, through the animals, through the creatures, the winged ones, (laughs) the little bees, you know, you know, it's really important to think of the whole life source of it
1: um mm-hmm. because we, we humans in- are mm-hmm. we humans are good at that deforesting an area and then planting <laughs> one species and expecting it to just somehow <laughs> magically thrive yeah
2: <laughs> yeah exactly you know and and um i just heard this thing you know i'm in southern california so <clears throat> they have these farming you know they're all over the country are farming in america and also in canada are farming communities and they brought in the GMO corn and soybeans and all this stuff and monocropping. That's a very new, very, you know, modern world thing, which is terrible for the soil, terrible for the land, horrible for the bees. We're just, you know, we really need to regener- you know, turn around very quickly. But also terrible for the, the water table. So what they're doing is they're they're spraying glyphosate, which is you know, um, Monsanto's favorite toxin that kills all life. And um, what that does is i think it's, it says since 1996 or something there's been a 37 fold increase in nitrates that they're putting on the soil so these crops especially corn and, and soybeans robs nitrates from the soil and so instead of really reconditioning the soil feeding the soil composting and, and getting that that life back into the soil which is so easy to do this is one of the things that i'm going to get done before i get off of this planet i've got about 50 years to do it <laughs> but I'm <now> on the- <laughs> we need to regenerate the soil because it's easy to do and in three years you can totally do it and what you can do so 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 what where we're at right now is these small communities that are around these huge farms they might only yes. have three or four thousand people in them and what's happened is now their underground tape water table that they were able to drink out of the the hose, drink their tap water up until just recently, now it's got a ton of this glyphosate and also nitrates in there, and so nitrates. You're living in Vancouver Island, so you see, you know, the red tide coming along. Well, it will comes on after after the spring when they put all that uh, Roundup and uh, what's it called? It's Roundup, and then the other one that everybody Maybe it'll come to me any minute, but it, like that kind of nitrates uh, that they treat the soil with, and then it rains and it runs down into the ocean or the waterways there. Certainly, the Straits of Juan de Fuca and the San Juan yeah. Islands come um, to. And I was out on a boat, not last year, but the year before, in May. So right after everybody put all that on their lawn and put that on their vegetable gardens and all that stuff, and it ran into the ocean. And they were red tides, like. I could hardly even believe it, and so that poisons the shellfish and the fish. You can't eat that, um, and the seaweeds, of course, the seaweeds kind of clean things up and stuff. But it's just a really, it's a, it's a, it's a visual it's an evidence-based yeah system that needs to get up leveled. And so, in these small farming communities, with all the nitrates going into their water, they're forced now to put in these like two to five million dollar water treatment plants. And this is a community oh, wow. of, like humble people you know they're not nobody's making much money there and they're they have to pay like three thousand dollars a year each and every person to try to make these to try to get a water uh, water purification plant just so they'd be able to to have pure water going forward and I say let's back it up to Monsanto who put that poison and that nitrate in there in the first place and it's We're a super rich country they can afford it they're <laughs> not a country it's like a country yeah. <laughs> company. company. But they should, basically, basically a country for that. <laughs> they should be, because they should feel the pe- the penalty of it yeah. they should be you know, um, working with nature more than just putting tons of nitrates on soil and robbing the soil of the life itself all of this is reversible everything here is reversible it can be reconditioned, reorganized, mm. regenerated we can clean this up and that's exactly what so many of us came here to do
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that so one more question i have with the with the life food nutrition and going back to when you were talking about that and doing the whole brain functioning and integrating that did you do much looking through the the dark field microscope at the live blood or anything
2: it was formative it was formative. Right. In the world. So, so what what Brian's talking about here is um, live blood cell uh, analysis. And so mm-hmm. before that, before live blood cell came along, it is a certain kind of a dark field microscopy or microscope, right? And it's a whole field of understanding how to be able to look at something, a living fluid like blood, right? Before you you could put blood on a little plate, but you'd have to stain it. Maybe you'd have to stain it like purple or I think it was purple, and then and then it would kill the blood or freeze frame it it's not so much living any longer and then mm. you put it under a microscope and you'd look at it and you go oh that's very interesting you <laughs> know but anyway with live blood cell analysis and especially anybody who's interested uh you know ex- look at the work of gaston nason and he's a canadian man he um he's, i think he's probably dead by now but his work is really interesting i think they would have translated it from french by at this point for sure, because he was a very interesting person. But anyway, what he did, uh, and about 10 others around all at the same time, you know, how you have the, the genesis of right. ideas, born in all these different continents, <laughs> extremely disconnected people. Like, I totally. bought it, you know, like I think it's the things are fascinating. Was, yeah, like the typewriter was patented the same week in three different countries, mm-hmm. you know, for people that had no idea the other and it was even an idea for something yeah
1: time. well going back to to the the indigenous ideas that same thing happened that certain developments like the domestication of animals and farming and all that kind of happened at the same time in various different places around the world without any network of communication it's just it's mind-boggling <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's sort of the internet, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, like we, we and I, I like to, and I'll just do this one thing, but like I always think of when we're looking at our phones and stuff and we're all connected now too, like through the telephones, I feel like we're going through this kind of awkward stage where we're we're using external technology to remember what our internal natural <laughs> gifts actually are. Yeah. And so, you know yourself, if the, a text comes in, you're like, oh, that's probably so-and-so texting me. You know, like you kind of have an idea of who it's going to be or that's person's calling or whatever. And so the more you trust that system, too, the the computers are going to get smaller and Mm. smaller and smaller and then we'll just use our internal technology. Um, But just circling back again to, like, let's call analysis, because this is really fascinating, and it's the one thing that's going to get a lot more... Validated uh, as we go forward now, um, a lot of things got changed in the last couple of years. And one thing is the validation of live blood cell analysis. It's still not, you know, it's, it's sort of like when I was talking about the microbiome in the early 1990s. You know, there were very few doctors that understood what I was talking about. Now it's very much in the vernacular. It's actually held up over time. A lot of these teachings have held up over time. I feel like it was a grace that was sort of given to me and David and others. You know, around that time to, you know, kind of pioneer some of these fields. But um, the live blood cell analysis is fantastic because you can take a little bit of your own blood or your client's blood or whatever and walk up a little plate like that and have a look through it. And you can see what the red blood cells look like as living blood, you know, whether they're well-shaped and well-formed or whether they're kind of weird-shaped. Um, is there mold, fungus, yeast, and bacteria is there? Is there parasites trying to wiggle into this little yeast form that's floating past? You know, and you can really see the structure of subjective, the structure of good health, and how, and how connected the whole thing is too. So I like Gaston nason's work. So what he looked at was, what he kind of put put language to, if you will, and named, was this, um, uh, what would you call it, circle of life, if you will. Mm-hmm. So what he uh, knows play,
1: was. Playomorphic, I think they <laughs> call it. Playomorphic organism. Yes. Yes. yes.
2: One becomes the next, becomes the next. Look at you! I love that. So um, yeah, so the first three parts of the cycle are really healthy, and he called them somatids, spores and double spores. Mm. And then from there it goes into you know uh, mold, fungus, yeast, bacteria, viruses, parasite, worms, and then the whole thing kind of explodes back into somatids, spores, and double spores. So. Even if the person's dead, like there's something, there's a genesis that begins now. And then that's what starts to make that soil. It turns a human, a dead human, if you will, into good living soil in, through just that same of decomposition. And it doesn't matter if the person's dead or not. There's, there's going to be this genesis of that. It's going to keep going. If you're alive, and uh, my work is really reversing that system because it can also go the other way you can just keep getting older and more sick or you can get younger and better looking every day if you feed yourself really good living foods and you live a good life and you you love well to people and you you know how to um cultivate you know community and connection with other with people all of these things are really important. music is a big part of of that longevity mm. lifelong um so it's not just food but just for the purposes here, it's 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 wonderful in my work to watch people really on their death's door, you know, and then decide it's not quite my time yet. I can reverse that. Mm. Um, actually, the first year of the pandemic, for whatever reason, it actually started just before this, but um, all these uh, seniors started coming to me, you know, like, and uh, there's a couple of men in there, but there were so many women. I was like, the ladies in their 80s, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and here are all these, like, rocking people who – You know, some of them have, and even my mother was one of them too. Like, she had a childhood trauma that she'd never really gotten past, you know. And I was like, God, mom, let's fix it. Like,
0: Mm. if you
2: fix this now, it'll be done in this lifetime because she had just turned 80, you know. And I said, If if not, you're going to drag it into the next lifetime and it's going to be the theme of that lifetime. And you don't want that, you know. And she's Mm. like, I don't want that. (laughs) (laughs) So we worked on a couple of different things. And she's so smart. She had a life changing dream where she did the therapy in the dream. And the next day she's and she was quite overweight, you know. You know. (laughs) And I didn't have time. During the pandemic, I just moved in with her for two months, you know. And I chefed for her every day. And we made this anti-inflammatory diet. She took off 80 pounds in the last year. And now she's kind of plateauing. And even her doctor's like, I think you're good. I don't think we need to (laughs) take off any more weight. But she's eating sensibly and reasonably. She just started exercising, because when you're overweight like that, you can't really exercise, you know. And it was all about this childhood trauma. And we're learning so many good things about healing trauma now, too. Generational trauma. the mm-hmm. Indigenous carry an enormous amount of intergenerational trauma and shame. Uh, and all of that, as a, as a world, we need to um, look at healing that, healing our Indigenous mm-hmm. and getting them the same kind of opportunities. Um, I'm kind of pushing, actually, to to... Uh, um, you know to get to get indigenous uh, young people and then also people of color and more women well educated and into politics and into getting law degrees and to change mm-hmm. a lot of these laws so that the especially the indigenous the plight of their people is honored and respected and then we get we get those beautiful teachings that are going to come and nourish us and flesh out this whole thing and make technology seem less scary and all these talking Netflix movies and stuff. Now they're like dystopian future. You're like, get out of here! <laughs> like, what about a beautiful future? Like my phone is my friend. You know, it's like it tells me things I want. I, I don't take it everywhere. I want to, you know, just <laughs> <Sometimes laughs> yeah. stay at home. But it's it's a it's a fearful technology. Transhumanism is one of these things that they're pushing right now too, and all these kind of. Movies are being made about it and stuff. And it's like what you're missing is the big piece that we're all connected, that it's never changed. It's always been like that, you know, and it'll always be like that. And we have some cool tech, but we don't have to give tech its own AI thing that it's this other thing. It's like, no, it's just something cool that we came up with, like a shovel or a tractor, (laughs) you know, that we can build something with. And I think when we get more of these indulgence people, and, and, and movie making too, like let's get them into movies, let's get their stories out there and stuff too, and we're going to have more of a balance of, of what our place is and what our role is, and it won't be kind of so st- scary and dystopian. Um, it'll be much more balanced and um, and that we are part of the circle. We are nature itself. We belong here. You know, our bodies totally. belong to the earth. And when we leave, it's suddenly more obvious when your parents die, it's like, oh, they... They left with their souls, but their bodies are here, you know. And once you really get that, it's it's um it's kind of a perfect circle of life, right? You know.
1: hmm anyway, It's I'm uh. Gonna...
2: <laughs> I don't know if that made sense, but.
1: No, totally. Yeah. Looking back at all the th- cool things you've done today in life, whether it's the whole brain functioning, the the life food nutrition, or the live blood analysis what stands out as the most interesting and kind of memorable and meaningful when you when you talk about we we all came here to to do something what is it so far that that you feel like you've really um come the the most uh, interesting thing you've come across i guess
2: <laughs> mm, what a good question um well, all of these pieces are part of my life's work. Um, but I have sort of a broad cosmology and I have kind of a range of things that I work with. Um, but possibly that, too. So, you know, so I would say that, you know, kind of my bigger dharma is to reverse the conditions of degenerative diseases. Mm. And then one, one of the ways I do that, one of the tools that I have is really to align people back with their life's mission and purpose. And... Um, you know, Sylvia Brown one time told me that we have five exit points in our chart before we incarnate. And they're points when you can review and assess, you know, like, did I finish everything I was going to do here or should I keep, you know, re-up and keep going? I don't know why there's five, but it's <laughs> it's actually, you know, panned out because I've used that as the model. And I just ask myself actually when I'm working with somebody, like if they're really on Death Star, I'm like, you know, how many more exit points do they have? Is this the last exit point? And I'll always get a number. It's like, nope, she's got two more, and I'm like, all right. So, <laughs> but what I need to do is get them excited about living longer, you know, because sometimes it's a slog, and especially if you bite off a big chunk and you want to fix trauma and you want to fix all this stuff, you know, it can be exhausting, and so people just get tired and burned out. So, yeah, the one thing I found that can really always work is to get them realigned with their the mission and purpose that they incarnated with. And then to kind of really assess with them as a team, you know, where are you now in that? You know, what, where are you exactly in that? And sometimes I, it's only been a handful of people I work with at the end of their lives where they were like, I nailed it, man. I nailed my thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm out of here soon. And so in, that's rare. Um, but in those cases, then, you know, we just get them healthier to have a, a more beautiful death, right? You don't want to like fade out in the hospital. You want to have like a nice death, you know? And, um, but for just about everybody else, they're like, you know what? I'm not quite done here. You know, here's the other nuance I wanted to do. Or now that I did all of that, I'd like to find love, you know, cause it's been a hard slog and wouldn't it be nice to have this beautiful final chapter with love in it, you know, or whatever, you know? So <clears throat> because I... I see people as this large cosmology, each one of us is, um, I think that's probably like my best uh, teaching, and it's what keeps me really motivated too, to keep, to keep going. I do this, this work with myself, um, and whenever I get really discouraged or, you know, terrified of <laughs> my own dystopian, idea of a dystopian future... It always comes back to that. I was like, no, I came here to do this beautiful work, and I'm a teacher and I, a healer, and I get to work in all these different realms. And if one part of it's kind of getting me down, then I can work on another part of it that will lift me up, you know, and it'll inspire other people too. So um, that's that's kind of what I love to do. And, um, cool. and it really helps me with my clients and helps me on a personal level as well. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, cool. That's really cool. And that kind of comes full circle right back to the whole brain functioning, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and using a lot the of outside the Omega. Here we are again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> right on. Well, really appreciated you taking the time to come back on the show today and join us and catch up after after a few years here.
2: Mm, thanks, Brian. I've really enjoyed my chat with you. I always enjoy my chats with you. Thank <laughs> so you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for bringing me in today. I appreciate for it. For
1: sure. Yeah, and it, for, if anyone wants to find out more about, like, some of the projects you were mentioning, the farm you have up in Ontario, and the life food that you're currently doing, are you still, do you have a website and you're on social media?
2: AnnieJeb.com, and I'm on mostly, actually only Instagram as Annie Pattenjob, so you can find me in those two places, and And do reach out and say hi. I'd appreciate it.
1: Great. All right. Once again, thank you so much, Annie. Really, really appreciate it. That was an amazing conversation.
2: Thanks, Brian. Have a beautiful day. Thanks, Nate. Me
1: too. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast and find us online and on social media at elysiumproject.ca. We could also really use your help right now with leaving our podcast a review wherever you listen to your episodes. It only takes a few minutes and really helps us reach new listeners. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.